Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. Our church exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information about us or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Church, we're going to move on into closing our series, The Elephant in the Room, The Tough needed conversation that we should be having as the church about that thing, that obvious and evident issue or problem in the room that nobody's talking about. Our theme verse started with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 15, speaking the truth in love. You should probably have that memorized by now, right? Speaking the truth in love. Why is the truth so important? Well, Jesus said, in John 8, 32, when you know the truth, the truth will make you free. And so what we're going to do to close this series today is we're going to do something a little different than what we usually do. Now, I'm sure, as you're probably visually aware, there's two people on stage today. And, and look at this. There's even a stool that I'm going to endeavor to sit on for a portion of this message. But what what we want to do is we want to change things up a bit today, and we want to have, Miss Taylor and I want to have a little bit of a a conversation, if you will, not just just with one another, but with you. And we want to do it to close the series and talk about the last room and the last elephant. We started with the elephant in this room being the auditorium religion and relationship. We talked about the elephant in the living room, about God having a seat in your house, being welcomed. Is his presence welcome? The elephant in the bedroom, is there an intimacy with God and an intimacy between man and woman? Last week, Pastor Jeff had the wonderful privilege of preaching to us about the elephant in the bathroom. Bless God, when you can get a message on the bathroom, you know you're walking in some unction. The bathroom is where you start your day. It's where you start in preparation. And Pastor Jeff talked to us about the need to prepare. So today, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to talk about the elephant in the kids' room. The last room, the elephant in the kids' room. And to help us navigate this conversation and message today is our student director, Taylor Barrientes. Y'all give her a hand. She has been... She's been working with our students for some time now and just, I mean, just been rolling with all the crazy transitions over this season, and she's going to help have this conversation with us. So, Taylor, help, help us get started about this conversation. Speak from some of your own experience today. All right. Uh, well, I work with our middle and high school students, um, obviously, and, and uh, it's really interesting whenever I talk to people about what I do, um, I tell them I, it's a lot of talking to teenagers, talking to them one-on-one, talking to them in groups, talking to them from a stage. Um, and a lot of times I hear talking to teenagers is really hard. Um, and when I'm recruiting for the, for the ministry and I'm like, hey, I need small group leaders to jump in with me and do life with these teenagers. You just, you, you celebrate the wins, you mourn the losses. You're just talking to them about what's going on in their life. They're like, oh, I don't know. I work with primary school kids or elementary school kids, but once they start getting in middle and high school, they're just, they're harder to talk to. I even hear it from parents sometimes. He just doesn't talk to me anymore. She didn't, she didn't talk to me. She used to share, share everything with me. She used to tell me everything. And now it's like, I don't know what to say or what to do. I'm just kind of hoping she'll come to me and tell me what's going on. And 
what we've inadvertently done is normalize teenagers putting up walls. We've normalized them shutting out the world because they're in this phase of life. And the problem with that is if we chalk it up to it being their angsty teenager phase, a bad attitude, a surly disposition, hormones, um, we might miss what's actually going on. And I know you guys have heard the statistic that three out of four students drops out of church when they turn 18. Um, That's 75%. So I know there are students here on Sundays that don't make it on Wednesdays uh, because of uh, work or school things or sports or whatever. Um, But there are about 40 students in our student ministry actively right now. And so if 75% of them statistically are supposed to walk out that door at 18 and not come back, that's 30 kids. And actually, Barna has come up with new research that says 75 is actually a conservative number. They think nationwide it's closer to 90. And so when you look at it that way, of the 40 kids that I get to love and lead every week, 36 of them are supposed to hit the door at 18 and not come back. And four of them who are thriving right now, they're, they're a part of something bigger than themselves, and they're growing in their knowledge of God and who they were created to be, and they have a space where they're using their gifts and abilities. Only four of them, statistics, they are supposed to stay when they turn 18. And, and that bothers me, and I know it bothers you guys too. And I know that we're really tempted to say, not our kids, not new grace kids. But the only way we can say not new grace kids is if we say, why not new grace kids? What are we doing to make sure that that's not the case? And I think what these statistics reveal is that nationwide there's, there's an issue. And the issue is that we're not having enough tough love, truth-bearing, clarifying conversations with and about our teenagers. And that's what this whole series is about, right? Having those tough conversations and, and the ones that you would rather avoid and the ones that are really necessary. And so if we're saying teenagers are hard to talk to or they shut down and they don't talk or I don't know what to say to them and all these other things, what is the elephant in their room? Silence. It's silence. Because our kids aren't talking about what's going on in their world. And their parents aren't talking about what's going on in their world. And the school's not talking about what's going on in their world. And their peers aren't talking about it, at least not from a positive or constructive perspective. The coaches and teachers and other potential influences aren't talking about it. And unfortunately, the church hasn't been talking about it enough either. And the truth is, our kids face pressures that they don't know how to verbalize. Bullying is a huge issue. And it doesn't look like it did a generation or two generations ago because... It's not just your kid coming home with black eyes or bruises or scuff knees from where somebody pushed them down. The wounds that they get from bullying, now you can't see. And they don't come home from school and get away from it. It follows them. They have body image issues. They've never lived in a world where... never lived in a world where Photoshop wasn't the normal. And they see all of these images of people who the real person doesn't look like that. It's, it's filtered and it's 
copied and pasted and edited in such a way that the real person doesn't even look like that, and now they're comparing their very normal teenage bodies to people that are unobtainable, and they don't know how to tell you I feel uncomfortable in my own skin because I look at things that don't look like me every day. They're absorbing so much negative and toxic material through their smartphones and through the internet from every corner of the globe. And social media, I don't want to harp on social media because I have it and I know that we talk about it a lot, but the truth is, even as adults, it's hard not to get caught in that comparison trap when you're looking at somebody else's highlight reel because you're comparing their best to your good, bad, and ugly. And that's hard for them. Depression and anxiety are at an all-time high, and experts say that 14 to 24 is when the onset of most serious mental illness happens. That's our students. Suicide is rising. It's one of the leading causes of death in the United States, with it claiming someone every 11 minutes. And the number of people who think about or attempt is even higher. And the APA says that normal children have more anxiety than child psychiatric patients did in the 1950s. So what that means is your normal teenager, when they're going about their normal day, have more feelings of panic and dread than a child who would have been under constant observation from a psychiatric professional two decades ago. And I can tell from your reactions that these are all startling things that you haven't heard. And you certainly haven't heard it from your kids. And so we're tempted to think because they haven't said it, that it must not apply to them. But the truth is a lot of them are suffering in silence. Reeling in self-sabotage and self-destruction, and they're not able to verbalize it. The scary thing about all this is that they're not going to hear these answers in third period at class. Nobody in between classes in the hallway is going to have this conversation in the locker forum or at gym class. And we've watched the overreach of government control take it right out of the school's hands from a coaching perspective. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You're not going to find this conversation happening on Dr. Phil like it needs to. Oprah is not going to spin it off in the, in the next season. And you're not going to find some YouTuber handing this out like it's gospel truth. We need some kind of remedy from the Word of God. We need something that can give us answers and solutions. And be- better yet, we need to be able to see a firsthand account where God dealt with this kind of elephant. Where, where did this kind of conversation happen? As always, there is a hope and there is enlightenment in the Word of God. I want you, if you have your Bible, quickly pull it up on your phone, open it in your lap. If you don't have it with you, it's going to be on the screen for your reading. But Mark chapter 9, I want you to watch this with us. Mark chapter 9 tells us about a story where the Word of God is not silent on this kind of reality. Notice what it says in Mark 9. It's a familiar story about a father and a son who come to Jesus with a desperate need. The Bible says in verse 17, and one of the multitude answered, and they said this to Jesus, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a 
dumb, I want you to underline this, dumb spirit. Now, there may be a married woman in here thinking, my husband's had it since we said I do. But, but, but I, want, I, want you to, I want you to watch this with me now. This dumb spirit is another way of saying a mute spirit. My, my son has been possessed by a spirit, watch this, that keeps him from talking. This is not Reader's Digest. I did not find this on Fox News or CNN. This is our Bible. He says, my son has a dumb, mute, silencing spirit. And if you read on, you find that this spirit has tortured this child. Even so, in the, in the actual passage, he foams at the mouth. It throws him on the ground. It torments and tortures this kid. And the dad even says, look, I took my son to your disciples. They couldn't cast him out. So now I'm coming to you. And watch this, verse 21. Skip down to verse 21. Jesus asked the father, he says, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oftentimes it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. It's interesting that this kid was being overwhelmed with a spirit that was leading him to self-destruction. Satan's not going to come into your kid's room in the middle of the night and slash their throat. Satan's not going to put a revolver to their head. But he will gladly start a dialogue in their mind that will load a gun with their own hand and pull a trigger with the other. Notice what he says. If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the people came running together, now, now a crowd is gathering, as we see so many times when Jesus confronted a human issue. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And if we read on, we find out that Jesus cast this demon out of this kid. And in so doing, this demon threw this kid like a puppet under the, hand, under the control of a hand, was flung to the ground, wallowed around in the ground, and the demon came out of this kid. And everybody thought the child was dead. Jesus took him up, restored him back to life, and this boy was brought back to himself. Now, here's what we want to do. There are several takeaways, several angles from this story, but what we want to do for the next few moments is we want to look specifically at the dad. We want to look at the father, and we want to see what he did about his son's condition. What did the dad do to combat the spirit of silence in his own child. What can we learn from the father? Get us started, Taylor. Well, there are several things that we can learn from the father, but the first is to acknowledge. If you're taking notes, write down acknowledge. It's such a simple thing, but really the only reason this father was able to help his child is because he acknowledged that his child needed help. Right. And so often when I talk to students, 
and they say, hey, I'm struggling with this. I, I think I might be depressed or I'm, I'm anxious, struggling under the weight of this or that. The first thing I say is, thank you for sharing that with me and trusting that with me. Have you talked to mom and dad? And a lot of times the answer I get is no, because I'm afraid of how they're going to respond. Um, if I go and tell them I'm depressed, what if, you know, what, what are they going to say? Or I've told them I'm, de- I'm struggling with depression before, and they said, you, you know, you're not struggling with depression. Your life's too good. You got, you got things going for you. How could you be depressed? And whether it's a, it's a spiritual thing or a physical thing, an emotional or mental thing, the only reason you can help your child is if you acknowledge that they need help. And a lot of times your, your kids are afraid to start that dialogue because they're afraid that they're going to tell you what they're experiencing and hear, no, you're wrong. I'm, I'm thinking this or I'm feeling this. That's not valid. And even, even if you've never given them cause to believe that that's how you're going to respond, the enemy is crafty. And sometimes he makes them think, well, that's what they're going to think. They're gonna, it's going to be a slap in their face. You, they've been so good to you. They've given you such a good life. You're going to go tell them you're depressed. We can't accept that their silence doesn't mean something's wrong. And I know that some of you are sitting in this room and you're like, I, I can feel it. Like, they've never said it, but I can just feel it. And, like, it's like the silence is screaming that something's going on. You're probably right. I want to ask you a question. How many of you in this room, you're saved, you're going to heaven, you've been born again, you have no doubt about it, Jesus is Lord, raise your hand. All right, put them down. Every parent that raised their hand, I want you to listen to me. Because what Taylor's talking about here with this dad acknowledging what was going on with his son, watch this. The dad also acknowledged that what was going on with his kid was not just a flesh and blood problem. I want you to hear me. He did not have the level of insight that we have today. They did not have the medical field and practice that we have today. They didn't have WebMD. But this dad had a read on something spiritually. God help me preach this. This dad had a read on something spiritually that told him this is deeper than a chemical imbalance. This, this is deeper than a season of depression. There is a devil after my kid. Can you imagine for a second how different the landscape would be in our Christian homes if mom and dad were tuned into a spiritual frequency with the Holy Ghost and the Word of God and they were able to look beyond the eyes of their own child and see that you are dealing with a devil we can't see or touch with our hand or our eye. He acknowledged this is not just flesh and blood. He knew that the real bully was a devil they couldn't see. Think about this. Think about this. If you're in this room and you just raised your hand as a Christian and you've yoked up with what this church body is doing, what makes you think that the biggest target hell has on your life, it is not resting on your back but the back of the child or grandchild that you are raising and influencing? Can I speak from personal experience? I've been saved 20 years. My shield has got dents in it. My sword is cracked. My helmet's sitting sideways. My belt of truth is tied tighter than you can get it. My shoes have got holes in the bottom of it. I have got my armor on still, and I'm still fighting. But I have noticed the enemy smarter than I am, and he knows when he can't get to me. 
Come on, somebody. When he can't get to me, I got four youngins running around my house that become prime targets for my enemy. But this dad came to Jesus and said, I acknowledge that what's going on with my kid is a spirit thing. If you're in here and you have a child that is unsaved and not yet a believer, they are a prime target for possession. If this gets eerie and spooky, that's okay. I get it. It's 2022, and we're supposed to be woke and with it. But I'll, I'll, let, me, let me help you get woke and wake you up for a second. The devil hasn't changed his game plan. In fact, he's advanced his strategy. He has mobilized forces and tactics and technique that far surpass anything we see of biblical time frame. He doesn't march into your house or in your front yard with a neon sign saying, I'm Satan from the great depths below. But he comes through black mirrors and smartphones and androids, and he comes through Apple. He comes through Internet access, and he comes through late-night pornography, and he comes through peer pressure, and he comes through hallucinogens, and he comes through illegal substance, and he comes through an alcohol addiction, and he comes through cocaine, and he comes through methamphetamine, and he comes through marijuana, and he comes through sexual immorality, and he comes through fornication, and he comes through all these other forms and all these act attacks, and he, he comes with an attack and an agenda that you can't see. But how about a dad that was so glued in to God that he saw what the devil was doing? If you are in here and you're raising an unsaved kid, they're a target for possession. If you're in here and you're raising a saved kid, they're a target for oppression. And they will follow your child to bed, and when you tuck them in and leave the room, they'll still be there whispering, speaking, and lying into your kid's ear that they don't even need to be alive anymore. This dad acknowledged these things, but watch this. He also, number two, write this down, he admitted something. You have to admit. You not, not only acknowledge, but you admit. I like this now. Dad was humble enough and broke enough to admit that as a parent, he still needed help. Oh, somebody listen to this right here. I don't know what it is about our pride, but we see it as a personal failure when our kids struggle and can't hide it. We want everybody to think we got our house together. We want everybody to think we got our house in order. We don't want nobody to know that our kids are making mistakes. We don't know nobody to know our kids are are. are are, are making poor decisions, and we don't want nobody to know. We're, we're real proud about that stuff, especially when you get around the whole church clan. Don't want nobody to know that your kid struggles and your kid makes mistakes and your kid is dealing with the devil. When all the while, reminder, everybody around you is dealing with their own devil. Everybody around you has got their own junk in the trunk. Hello, somebody help me preach. Our pride is killing our kids because we don't want to say nothing to anybody for fear they're going to think less of us. Can I say something to you as a pastor, as your pastor? I already expect the worst. 
I love it. I love the look on people's faces when I'm sitting in a counseling session with them, and, 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 and they're just sitting there fragile like they just got sent to the principal's office, and I love leaning across the room and saying, do you realize there's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to shock me? There's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to make me think any different of you, your children, your marriage. Chances are chances are the dirt under my rug in the past is probably piled higher than any you got going on right now. So try me. Try me. And it's, it's such a relief. I've seen it firsthand. It's a relief when a mom or dad can just. It's a relief when a mom or dad can go tug on the hem of his garment and say, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm willing to even admit I'm not as spiritual as I need to be. I've got all the answers for everybody else. I'm good at my job. I'm confident in our financial status. I'm good at what I do for a living. I've got a lot of connections. I've got a reputation to uphold in this community. But what about when you can't help your own kid? The greatest thing you ever did with your life was bring them into the world and you don't even know how to save them. He admitted. He admitted. And how, do, how does that connect to the church? Because as a parent, are you alone? You've seen this before. They feel alone. Yeah. So I've seen parents before that, that struggle with Exactly what you're describing, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. And so one thing that I always try and make sure you guys understand is, yes, student ministry is a resource for your students. It's a place for them to come and be accepted and feel loved and belong and have people that pour into them and a place to realize their gifts and use them and um, learn more about what the Bible says for the season of life that they're in and everything else. But it's also a resource for you. And just like... I will pick up the phone every time one of them calls. I'll do the same for you. And if you need to tell me, hey, raising a teenager is hard, I'll be like, yeah, it is, and I'll listen. If you ever need prayer for you or for your kids, that's what we're here for. If you're like, hey, I just had this conversation with them, and I don't know where to go next, that's fine. That's what we're here to help you with. And there's something powerful about not only acknowledging that there's something wrong, but admitting that it takes a village. Like Pastor Nikki says all the time, it takes a village to be able to do right by your kids. Like, I I know with my parents, like, I had wonderful, fabulous parents. And they brought in teachers and mentors and preachers and pastors and whoever else. And from a kid's perspective, I never once looked at them and went, oh, they just don't know what to do, fail. Like, I never looked looked at them and been like, oh, that's, that's real sad. I looked at them and I was like, thank you that you love me enough to bring in all of these other people. And your kids are gonna respond the same way. Ultimately, what we hope to be able to help you do in not being alone is to help you advocate for your kid. Um, Because that's the last thing that this dad did. He acknowledged, he was able to admit, and then he was able to advocate for his child. And I wrote down the definition of the word advocate because I think it's really important. It says, any action that speaks in favor of, recommends, argues for, supports or defends, pleads on the behalf of another. And this father didn't stop when the disciples couldn't cast out what had taken hold of his kid. 
It would have been really easy for him to be angry with them and just be like, forget it and walk away. It would have been really easy for him to get discouraged. But he sees Jesus and he says, all right, we're going we're gonna to try again. You help me. And Jesus even asks him, how long has this been going on? And he says, since he was little. I've been advocating for him at this stage and at this stage of life and at this stage. Now we're here. And I haven't given up hope that somebody's going to be able to help him. And so he advocates until this child gets the help that he needs. And as we were sitting and looking through scriptures for this message and and what it needed to look like, there were so many um, examples of moms advocating too. Because moms will go mama bear really fast. Amen. But what was really cool about this one is it's a dad advocating. And something really special happens when a mom and a dad decide that they're going to advocate together for a child. Um, and a lot of times when you say, look, I, I just don't know what to say or I'm afraid of saying the wrong thing. I don't, so I just don't say anything. Just like the child's silence is communicating something, your silence is communicating something to them. And so you have to figure out what your daily advocation for your child looks like. And it looks like being vocal. Just because you're not part of the conversation doesn't mean conversations aren't going on. So how do we join the conversation? We need to join the conversation. So here's what I'll submit to you. Taylor, I'm losing my stool. You have to, you have to yeah, that's right. You, you Lose it. Lose it. Let, let's land the plane. And before we bring JJ up and land the plane, let, let us give you a dual application here. I'll talk to the parent. Taylor will talk to the teenager. Advocation. So how do you, as a mom, a dad, let's not exclude everyone else that has a parental aspect here. Grandparents. Uncles. Aunts. Foster parents. Whoever you are that right now has been gifted and given by God the responsibility to impact, influence, and make an impression on a child's life. Let me talk to you for a second. And by the way, if you're in here and you don't have any kids, you don't have any grandkids, if you're a part of this church body, you're connected to something that does make a difference in the next generation. So even if you don't have kids in this room, guess what? You have opportunities right here at this church body to get plugged in to making a difference in the next generation, pulling kids out of hell, introducing them to Jesus, and leaving behind a legacy that outlives you and I. Somebody help me praise him. Let's talk quickly about advocation that you have as a parent between you and your child. It's a parent It's apparent from the text that the dad did this for years. I mean, from the time he was a little kid all the way up into his teenage years, we see a dad who was constantly advocating for his child. I I wrote this down. God wanted me to tell you this. As a dad, as a mom, as a parent, as a foster parent, here's what you need to know in advocating for your child. Your kid needs to know, I will never give up on you. There is nothing that you could do on this planet that will cause me to disown or disinherit you. You are mine. I brought you into this world, and as long as you belong to me and I belong to you, hell or high water, it doesn't matter what force comes against this relationship, I will never give up on you. They they also need to hear, I love you. They need to hear. They're not going to pick it up 
through some interpretive translation. They need to hear. You need to affirm this with your mouth. I love you. And that backs up to number one. I love you and I'll never give up on you. And there's nothing that's going to stop me from loving you. I love you. I love you when you make straight A's and I love you when you get held back. I love you when you are batting a 1,000, and I love you when you strike out every time. I love you when you're on time, and I love you when you're tardy. I love you when you're straight, and I love you if you're gay. I love you if you're perfect, and I love you when you sin. I love you when you're in church, and I love you when you get out of church. I want you to know, like the prodigal found out, Daddy's still setting your place at the table, and I still call your name in prayer because I'm a dad, I'm a mom, I'm a parent, and I love you. God didn't give up on you, and God always goes out of his way to remind you, I love you. Pass it on. Your child needs to hear, I love you. And if you can't speak it, sign it. I love you. They need to see, I'm going to fight for you. They've got the whole world fighting against them, and they see it. But mom and dad, your kids need to see you fight for them. They need to see you staying up late at night to have those conference calls and those conversations on the couch. They need to see that you're willing to go to whatever measure possible. They need to see that you'll go talk to the school administration. They need to see that you're willing to go to bat for them and talk to a pastor at church for them. They need to see that you will put your gloves off and fight for them. They need to feel, I hurt with you. They need to feel, I feel this with you. Your child needs to understand and they need to be able to sense that what pains them strikes a chord with you as the parent. It's funny how we believe to weep with them that weep, but that stops at our front door. And we expect an emotional and psychological response out of our own kid that we would not expect out of somebody else. I remember having, um, when I played travel ball, the coach, the coach did a good job making his son hate him because his son watched how compassionate and patient he was with us, but how short and sharp he was with his own son who played. And it created a great division between that father and that son. And that son to this day doesn't want very much to do with his dad. And yeah, maybe the dad was guilty of trying to live his own dreams through his kids. We've seen it before. But the process and the protocol this dad implemented in their relationship on how he, how he led his child and how he spoke to his child, he never interpreted his kid's pain. And he never asked when the kid was silent. They need to believe, I'm going to help you. Your kid needs to have a faith in you that you are willing to do something and going to do something about their silence and about their struggle. You advocate, as a parent, you advocate, you advocate between you and your child. But, but watch this. The dad also advocated between the child and another voice of influence. Did it not say 
that the dad first took this boy to the disciples. He went to another voice of influence outside of the home to try to get them to help his kid. Can I say this very quickly and I move on? We have an opportunity in this church as parents to leverage what we do here to give your kid another voice of influence into their life. Because guess what? Somewhere between 12 and 16, you lose primary voice of influence as a parent. And 12 to 16, your kid is primetime soft clay. They are the most fashionable, moldable, and malleable they're ever going to be in their entire life. And during the time, watch this, where they're the most impressionable, you as a dad or as a mom are losing the main influence. And Satan's got a whole line of other influences. He's getting positioned to speak into your kid's life. Why not beat the devil to it? And bring your kid on Wednesday nights to students. I'll, I'll just throw this out there and I'll move along quickly. What's more important? Just hear me out. I'm not, I, I, I'm, I'm rational. I, I don't live in a hut in the woods and, eat, and kill and eat my own food. I'm, I've got some sense. Just listen to me. What's more important? A scholarship or them going to heaven? I'm not saying. You can't leave here and go, Pastor Derek said that the kids don't need to go to college to get education. Didn't say that. It needs to be on the priority list, but I'm talking about what's the top priority. hundred years from now, it's not going to matter if your kid got a doctorate. A hundred years from now, it's going to matter if your kid's in heaven or in hell. What's more important? What's more important? Them placing first? We're having the Christian abundant life that they get to raise their own kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. I'm not saying they can't play sports. I'm not saying they can't play travel ball. But I will tell you this. They will throw some wheels on that travel team that will keep them away from church property all year long if you let it. When you, when you put God first in your home, it teaches your child that they are not your God and you do not worship them. My wife always elbows me in the side. We live in Jefferson, and we'll pull up to the rec department. And there's just, when you pull up to the rec department, it's just as far as you can see, just parents and kids everywhere. And I get in that spiritual sarcasm. And all these little kids running around, and the parents just running behind them. And I'm like, look at all them little gods. Look at all them little gods. It's true. If we're not careful, we'll worship the very ground the kid walks on. And Yahweh said, thou shalt have no other. I need to get my kid around another voice of influence that is going to echo the same biblical truth that I'm saying to them at the house, if I want to reinforce that. Lastly, the dad became an advocate for this kid to God. After the disciples couldn't cast him out, who did he go to? He went to Jesus. He took his kid to Jesus. What does that look like for you and I? It's called prayer. 
It's a mom or dad stepping over the threshold of this world into the next, grabbing a hold of the hand of heaven and calling on God for the sake of their child. Let me say this very, very quickly. Mom and dad, let me break this down for you. Here's how you do it. You want to know how to pray for and with your child. Write that down. You want to know how to pray for and with your child. How do you pray for and with your child? You need to do both. Don't do one. Do both. Pray for and with your child. When you pray for your child, here's what I suggest. Walk into their room. Walk their territory. And you pray in the kid's room. Because that's where the elephant is. That's where the devil is. That's where the voices are. That's where deception is. You walk into their room. You lay your head, your, your hand on where their head lies on that pillow. You walk into their closet. Now, listen to me. You can, you can chalk this up as over the top, too spiritual, but I'm going to tell you something. When you recognize that there is a devil trying to sabotage your child with lies, deception, fear, anxiety, stress, and suicide, you can't tell me I'm being too spiritual. Walk in that kid's room, and then you speak over that pillow in that bed. You speak over that phone. You speak over that alarm clock. You speak over that territory. All four of them walls, you tell every devil in hell, this room, this bed, it belongs to my kid. Their soul is not for sale. They are not going to be a trash dump for the world. I am not going to allow them to be taken as a victim of the enemy. I have marked, declared. I have believed, I have prayed, I have sowed, and this child belongs to God. Pray for your child. Pray with your child. It's never too late to start. I don't care if they're 25 or 30 years old. If they're three, lay hands on that little head. When they're sleeping, when they're awake, make it a habit, we're going to pray. When they have an issue, when they have a need, when they're sick, let them see your faith put into action and you put your hands on them and you pray for them. When your kid comes to you about an issue with school or an issue with, with work or they come to you about something they're carrying and they break the silence, sometimes you've got to, and I've got to do this, I've got to learn to shut up and listen because when you come to a pastor and you tell him as your daddy what you're dealing with, I want to throw you a homiletical outline and say, all right, honey, here's what you do. Number one, number two, number three. Hands bowed, eyes closed. But sometimes what I need to do is get out of the way, shut up, put my sonar on, listen, and then say, let's go to God about this. And the more, and listen, and listen, as a mom or dad, don't be so caught up in how you sound when you do it. Don't be so worried about whether or not you're tripping over your words or it sounds like it does when a preacher or a pastor is praying. If me and you are having a conversation, are you worried how you sound when you talk to me? So when you talk to God, just talk. Be yourself. And let your kid hear a humanized prayer that is filled with the Holy Ghost. Put your hands on them and impart some confidence and some courage and, and just dedicate that temple. Advocation as a parent. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm a little passionate about this. 
because I watched the devil try to wreck and ruin my own children. And me and Ashley had to draw our swords, get in our word, and fight back. And there have had to be times where we had to get with our kids and go before God. I can advocate to my child and let them know some things. I can advocate and get other voices of influence around them and make sure my kid is there to hear those other voices of influence. But the main thing I can do is get a hold of God and get my kid at the presence and the feet of Jesus and watch him heal, free, and deliver. Give him praise in this room if you believe that. How do we advocate? How do teens advocate for themselves? All right, so teenagers, where are you at? Wave at me. All right. Um, so the one thing that stands out to me in this story is that at this point, this has been going on for a while, and it started off with his dad advocating for him while he was little, and we're to a point now where he's a teenager. And his dad's still advocating for him, but he's old enough to walk with his dad to Jesus. It's no longer his dad advocating alone. He's advocating for himself, too. And so the question that I have for you guys is, is it your parents want deliverance for you, want breakthrough for you, and, and want you to be set free by the truth, but you haven't decided for yourself that you want that? Because once you decide that you want that for yourself, you have to start advocating for yourself. And there are ways that you can do that. First, you have to decide for yourself that you want God's help. And that means not wanting other options. Because... In the text, we see that this, this boy had went to extremes of self-destruction before. He tried to throw himself in the fire and throw himself in the water to get relief, and none of those things worked, and so he decided they were no longer options. And you have to decide that any self-destructive, harmful habit, any, any negative thought that you've been entertaining, that that's not an option because you want God's help. The next thing you need to do is you need to appreciate any person that loves you enough to break the silence. Because I know it's hard for you to come to them and say, hey, I'm struggling. Hey, this is what's going on. This is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm dealing with. But it's also hard on the other end to know that something's wrong and to go to that person. It's hard for your parents, for your small group leaders, for your pastors and teachers to, to come to you and say, what's going on? And, and break that silence. And so appreciate that they're doing that for you. Because that, it, it comes from a place of love. Listen only to truth and silence what is false. The only way that you can do that is to know what the truth is. So if you don't have a copy of this word or an app on your phone, come see me because I want to help you with that. And if you say, Taylor, I read it and I don't know what I'm reading, okay, well, let's talk about that too. Maybe you need a different translation or a commentary. Maybe you need to be asking questions, something to help you understand what this book says because it's the truth. And the only way for you to stand on truth and speak truth and silence what is false is to know the difference. The last way that you can advocate for yourself is to break the silence and say something to somebody. If you are sitting in this room here today and you've been suffering in silence, you need to decide right now that you're done suffering in silence. Because the first step to you getting breakthrough is saying something. And decide that you're going to say something until you see change. You're going to say something until it gets better, until you're, you're free. And I want to say to the parents, it's really hard if that wasn't modeled for you to turn around and do this for your kids. But you are equipped. You can and you should and you will. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcatcher. 
New episodes are posted on Tuesdays.